Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, we have Alex Bush, who is a physique coach with Physique Development. I have had his counterpart, uh, Austin Current, who is a good friend of mine, on the podcast as well. Um, actually, I'm somebody I'm going to be hanging out with here soon at the RP Summit, him and Matt McLeod. I'm excited about that. Um, but today, we have his counterpart, his business partner, the other coach inside of Physique Development, Alex Bush. Alex Bush is a young individual in the industry like myself who is very, very knowledgeable um, and really kind of dives into the weeds with me today. Like we dive into some deeper topics and it, it is another one of those similar to last week with Jen Ryan. It's another one of those just coaching conversations. Um, I, I, I definitely go back and forth quite a bit with him. I debate him uh, respectfully, um, not because I believe he is wrong or that I felt that I had a better opinion, but because I wanted him to elaborate on things. I was kind of playing devil's advocate um, and just kept the conversation going. So there's a lot of really cool topics in here. We're going to dive into female-specific training. We're going to dive into hypertrophy. We're going to dive into why you need to have focus on hypertrophy when the goal is still fat loss. We're going to talk about adherence with macros inside of our clients. We're going to dive into a lot of things, again, all centered around the idea of coaching, uh, mainly because I want to get more coaches on the podcast that I agree with, that have similar philosophies with me, and that I really do respect and trust their opinion and their style of coaching and their methods. I think it's important for us as individuals um, in the space to come together, collaborate, and actually push the greater message, not try to sell ourselves, but sell the idea of evidence-based coaching in general. Alex Bush is a part of a movement that I find myself in, and he, he is one of the individuals that I kind of actually told him before we got on the podcast, I told him, you know, like myself, you, Austin, um, a handful of other individuals who I'm getting closer and closer with over the years, I really do look at kind of like rising stars. And I don't mean rising stars in a glamorous way. I mean, it in a way that things have shifted over the years to a more individualized approach. And I think it really does take a well-educated and evidence-based practitioner to put forth that message and deliver the best results possible that are actually sustainable. Um, we're seeing this shift and we have been seeing this shift over the last couple of years that everything is leaning more towards individualism and longevity-based coaching. Like how can we periodize this better? How can we make this less stressful? How can we make adherence better? How can we create longevity inside of our clients and teach them as much as we can so they can actually leave our coaching and do better with the information we provided? And I, and I do believe that Alex is one of those individuals that preaches that message that is right there with me doing it in the field. So before I rant on any longer, Alex is a good friend of mine. Him and Austin Current are doing amazing things at Physique Development, and I'm excited to have the second of the two on the podcast today. And I think you're going to take a lot out of this casual conversation around coaching. 
Guys, as always, if you want to help me grow this podcast, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, and if you have not yet left a five-star rating and review on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate that. The other thing I would greatly appreciate is if you headed over to your Instagram and posted a screenshot of this episode on your story and tag me at Cody.BoomBoom and Alex at AlexBush underscore. Let us know who is listening to the show, that you like the show. We want to personally thank you and share your story on our story. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to this awesome episode with Alex Bush. All right, Alex, man, I'm excited to have you on the show because, like I just mentioned before, I think you are one of the um, – actually, I should ask you this first before I say you're one of the younger crowd. How old are you? 24. Okay, I was going to say, I thought you got yeah. – even Austin's pretty young too, right? Yeah, he's 25, yeah. Okay. Um, I was actually shocked to hear that you guys are as young as you are. Um, I'm 27, and – I'm always the youngest dude in the room, which used to actually be an insecurity of mine. Uh, and it used to mess with me. And I always felt it, like kind of obsolete because of it. But it's really cool to see some other people that are young. And like, you guys have been doing like, when did you start this all? Uh, we started when Austin was 20. And I was 19. Okay. And when did you start training people and getting into all this? Uh, well, it, it was at that time. So in person training at that time is, is what we were doing. And then uh, we were very lightly doing some stuff online. It wasn't that was in 2014. So the, the people that were doing it at the time were like Lane Norton. And it was a very small crowd who were getting into online coaching. It was IFYM was was starting to get its traction and online coaching was kind of rising with it and at the time we were really just uh more so having fun on youtube documenting two college students just hanging out training at a very obscene hours of the night at one o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning when we were done with our our jobs and school and all that Um, and that's kind of how we got things started i love it dude that's very very similar to my story i started when i was 19 as well um actually 18, I believe. But I, when I started, it was like, I was on a pursuit to just lose weight. And I started with like camps and shit like that. Um, But it's cool because I remember seeing like the early, early stages of Lane Norton and being like, that's what I want to do. And then I found a mentor that was like, train people in person and figure this shit out before you do any of that. And I worked with people in person for six years after that, but very similar story, same age, like just doing it for free, just doing it because I loved it. Um, and it built up over time, but it's cool because even though you've been, I mean, so you're 24 now, that's at least five or six years. That's still relatively short. I was actually listening to a podcast today and Eric Helms mentioned that he was 36 or 37. And I was kind of like, damn, yeah, like I got 10 more years to just put in work before I'm even at his age and not anything against Eric. Eric's a legend in the space, probably one of the smartest dudes there is. But that just I got me fired up because I was like, man, I got so much room to grow and so much time to overcome all these people that I look up to. So I think it's cool seeing other young people that are just doing what you're doing, man. It's just Absolutely. a really cool thing. Yeah, it's it's something that I, I level with you in the sense that it, it was something that I was scared to talk on, especially when we were starting out. I didn't want people to know how young I was mm-hmm. because I felt like it was a negative or I was going to be looked down upon because of my age. And I still run into that now, even having been in the space for five years, uh, I still run into it from time to time. So it's, it's, it's good to, to connect with, with younger people and uh, see the success for myself as well as other people. I told Austin, I was like, we're, we're the crowd that's going to take over the coaching industry. And yeah, and I mean it seriously in a, in a very humble way. I don't mean it in a way that like the people that are relevant now are not going to be relevant. 
they're the people that are create literally creating some of the research and evidence that we base a lot of our stuff off of. Um, so I don't think that their path's going to stop blazing whatsoever. I just see like this crowd of coaches that are really, really into the evidence, really into individualizing their practice. And it's just like slowly rising yeah. up and kind of getting into the game. So it's exciting to see, man. Yeah. And, and, and the, the space itself is, is so in its infancy that this is really the, the second wave of people that are coming through. This is, I mean, you're, you've seen the career span of the, the initial kind of 10 to 12 years of some of these people. Um, and now that's starting to see kind of like, just like any other, uh, even like a sport or something of that nature, if you see the, the waves of people coming through, I think that within this space, the second wave or third wave, if you will, is, is, is starting to come. What, what keeps you patient, man? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but I think that inside of business and inside of, uh, no pun intended, physique development, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I think that patience is so unbelievably important because like you literally just have to just keep chipping away for the business to grow. And, and if you're doing it because you love what you do, it's not a problem because mm -hmm. every day you wake up and you just want to learn more and, and apply more, right. And teach more. But for physique, it becomes very, very hard to do that for a lot of people. Um, how do you implement patients with yourself and with your clients? This is a, this is a good question because if you were to ask Austin or my wife, the two people who know me, very, very well, they would say that I'm the most impatient person <laughs> on this planet. And, uh, and they're totally right. But there are aspects of my life where I am able to sustain patience, whether it be within the business, whether it be within within clients, I kind of get to a different level, which is which is interesting for me, where it's like, I'm, I'm selective with my patience. But as, as far as uh, patience for for clients or myself, I think that it's more so coming up with daily things that are going to um, be wins per se, rather than focusing on I want to look this specific way in a year's time. Well, that's not going to do a whole lot for you at this very moment. More so of okay, what can I do today to get me one step closer to that where it is just the mindset of chipping away, and you can win the day. And if you're winning weeks, and you're winning months at that time, you're going to end up looking the way that you want to at the end of that year or what have you. I love that. Cause if you ask my wife or one of my best friends, the <laughs> exact same thing. Same thing. <laughs> and, and people will say to you, like, how, how have you just been, I've been putting out, like I'm a, I started all everything from a blog. I love blogging. Okay. How have you been blogging every week for the last eight fucking years? And obviously I skipped a couple of weeks in that time. I'm sure right. more than a couple, but the point <laughs> is like, how do you just keep writing and writing and writing? And I'm like, I have a lot of patience with that. Like I can never become, too good of a writer i just love writing right but like if i text you and i need an answer like i'm like dude come on man like let's go <laughs> and i'm like impatient um i love that answer dude i think that's i think that's huge um what the other question i had with that is how did you uh i guess elevate would be a good word kind of uh like you're you haven't been in the industry for relatively that long except you're a very very knowledgeable dude you're very very smart you guys what you do you kind of take uh, the anatomy of physique development to another level, which I really appreciate it. And um, that's actually how I started gravitating towards you guys' content. And I was like, they just take a really unique approach. And the way you guys convey your content, very, very intelligent. So like, how Thank did you. you basically get so much of that knowledge in such a short period of time? Like, take me through your journey of education and learning and, and okay. what you've done over the last five years. 
Well, we, well, I got my bachelor's degree in exercise science and I was very, very blessed and very fortunate to have one of the best professors. I I think that graces this planet, to be honest with you, he took me under his wing. I still converse with him on a very regular basis to this day. I mean, I've been out of school for a good chunk of time at this point and um, I still speak with him. And so my relationship with him has blossomed my knowledge. Uh, he is the strength conditioning coach at the university I attended, and he is almost forty, I think. And he is he whoops me every day as far as like being progressive from an intellectual perspective. Like he is one of the hardest working individuals, and he's someone who uh, I, I really try to emulate behind. And, and that's really like the 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 source of of my knowledge with him. And then from there, it was a lot of research on my own time outside of my university work, where university work was great. But a lot of what I apply now is not necessarily what I specifically learned at university. It's more of my continued education. Um, So right now, we do a lot of work with in one education. And and I am a very firm believer in in the way that they teach and the way that they they carry out um, their thought processes and things of that nature, I suppose. So I would say that aside from like NASM and things of that nature. Uh, yeah. At university, NASM, and then in one education at this point, plus lots of experience slash self research, I suppose. What, uh, what's the university in the professor's name, just so we can give him a shout out. Uh, the university is university of Southern Indiana. And then the professor is, is Josh Wildeman. Uh, he works with the, a lot of the, the teams at the university. I think it's really cool. Cause like, physique science is actually becoming more and more of a thing inside of schools and inside of research mm-hmm. in general. They're, they're actually using more bodybuilders and studies and things like that, which is phenomenal. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I've, I've had the pleasure of uh, lecturing for some of his personal training courses on online coaching and what the possibility of doing them in conjunction with one another has for them, which has been a really cool experience for me. Uh, with N1 and furthering education, do you have any, I hate saying, do you have any recommendations? Cause that's like when somebody says like, what, what's a good book? Like, do you have a good right. book recommendation? I'm like, well, fuck, I have a, I mean, you can see in the background, I, I could, yeah. yeah, I could list a couple. Uh, <laughs> but I just like, the reason I want to bring that up before we start getting into like strategies and the minutia is just because I get that question all the time. Like, Hey Cody, I listen to all your podcasts. Like, what else can I do? Like what certification should I go get? And sometimes I'm like, you know, there's some good ones like uh, NASM has one performance enhancement specialist that is mm-hmm. decent, has like a lot of the anatomy and it kind of goes into more of the detailed stuff. But then there's also some pretty popular brands that have really bad certifications <laughs> that yeah. don't really do much for you. So part of me is like, hey, just keep listening to the fucking podcast. But <laughs> yeah. um, you can shout out N1 all you want to because right. I have no affiliation with anybody specific. But I'm just curious of like what you recommend because there's a lot of coaches that listen to this. Right. I would say N1 education would be a great place to to start. I, I think that if you were to look at their Instagram, I think that they give a lot of uh, advanced information. But when you get into the coursework, they really break it down to the core level and then build you up to potentially maybe what you see on, on social. Uh, I encourage everyone to get a little bit of everything because I think that that's going to benefit you as a coach more so than only seeing one way of, of how somebody kind of presents the information. I think diversifying yourself from 
quality sources per se, I, uh, I think is very, very valuable, whether you're listening to Eric Helms, whether you're, you know, listening to, to anybody, I think that there's always something you can take, um, and some stuff you can leave, uh, from everybody. I love that. Um, easy enough. Let's, let's kind of dive into more, more client specific work. So, uh, I guess we'll start with like, I, I definitely want to go into execution, but I think before we even do that, like, I'd love to hear, again, I'm going to use a term I don't really completely like, cause I don't think anybody <laughs> has a, a philosophy, but like your philosophy on program design, like, you know, I think that like, if you look at West side, they obviously have like their philosophy. If you look at uh, the muscle and strength pyramids, there's a philosophy behind like the order of importance and stuff. Um, my philosophy of the order of importance is a little bit different than theirs. And like, I'm just right. curious if you have kind of like, when you see a client, it's like, okay, what do we establish first? What comes next? What's my philosophy? What's my methodology behind this and reasoning behind this? Do you mm -hmm. kind of have an order of importance with all this? Oh, yeah. I, I think that when clients are starting out, it, the onboarding process with physique development is very detailed. And we, we want it this way so that they are in a position to always be progressive. So for example, when someone onboards with physique development, they send a lot of video execution our way. And we do a lot of execution analysis when they first start, whether it be their barbell back squat or their hip thrust or any of the main movements that they're executing at that point. And we want to see how their body moves. If there's anything specific that we see um, from an imbalance perspective or just completely trash execution. I mean, it, it's really making sure that everything is moving properly. So then that initial phase, depending on where that athlete starts at, is very execution specific, whether that be creating great tension in a certain position within a movement or just having better mo uh, movement patterns throughout the process. So that process can be anywhere from just a singular week to six weeks for us. And then from there, we really just continue to build off of that foundation within different training stimulus uh, that we are looking for. How long is this process of trying to like determine things? Cause I know like some people, I get this, we, a lot of what we do is more nutrition focused. We have a membership site for training. Okay. Um, and I've had clients not get frustrated, but I, I really believe in like a priming phase. So yes. if I get a client, I'm not going to say like, all right, here's your deficit. Like it's, it's not that simple. Like we're assessing and we're analyzing and then we're creating a baseline and a foundation to build off of. And then we're going to, it's not really execution cause it's nutrition, but it's, it's building consistency, building habits, doing these things. How right. long is that process for you? And do you have people that are like expecting you to like respond with a program right away? Yes. Uh, there's definitely some fight back from time to time, especially if an individual is not familiar with how we run things. So for, for instance, um, if someone's been following us for a long time and uh, they get on the call with us prior to them signing up, they have a very good idea of, of how things go. But if someone just lands on my page, inquires, they get on a call with me, that's their only time they've ever heard or spoken with me. Then they're kind of at a, a weird limbo of like what they experienced previously, now what they're experiencing with me. And it's kind of like, a little bit of back and forth. So there definitely is some friction from time to time. And I, I sometimes have to cut that phase a little short to not necessarily appease the client, but also we can, we can alter things a little bit to keep them adhering and then kind of move through the progression in a different fashion to make it most feasible for them. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's their money, their, yeah, you, you try to make it work as, as much as you can. Well, I think that's good too, because a lot of people get so stuck in their ways. And even if their way is right, like I agree with the way you guys do things, but right. if you don't get buy-in from that individual, 
you can't create change. Exactly. So you can't help them. If you can't help them, then what are you doing? You know what I mean? So I think exactly. sometimes you have to kind of bend, bend the rules a little bit. Um, w- when you're going into this uh, system or hierarchy or kind of getting people started, how important is volume in comparison to exercise selection and uh, sorry, exercise selection and execution. And this is something right. I've purposely been asking uh, quite a few guests on my show. Cause I like getting people's takes because just so you have some rationale behind this and then you can take it and, and go any way you want right. to go with it. But there's a lot of, and you know, this is a lot of research on the volume and I'd love to get your thoughts on that too. So if you can spend some time di- diving into that, cause it's Absolutely. good to get everybody's opinion. Everybody interprets research differently. In my opinion, we know that volume is important. That's, pretty damn obvious at this point. Right. But I think people kind of read an abstract of a meta analysis, see that volume is important. And then the most important thing in their program is just knowing that they're calculating the number of sets per workout or per muscle group per week. And that's all they focus on. Rather, you got to think like, are your mechanics good? Like, how is the sequencing of your exercises? Like, what are you doing before? Which one? What equipment are you using? How is your execution? Like, there's so many things that go into it to me that like volume actually doesn't come first in application, but it definitely comes first in research. And I think they're two different things. So I want to get your opinion on that and how you actually essentially organize the two. Right. That makes sense. So with a a first time client, and this also depends on the uh, experience of the athlete, if they're coming to me having only trained for a year, at that point, we're going to be doing a lot of execution work. It's going to be very low volume, but the time under tension is going to be higher and we're trying to create more tension, create more significant tension where through the movement itself. So it may be lower repetitions and, and lower volume, but they're going to be really working on specific movements. So maybe, for example, we're wanting to really improve the barbell back squat. I may do eight sets of four. And that may make up a lot of their glute and quad volume for that week. But we really want to see, we don't want to see breakdown in form. We just want to see great execution and not accumulate too much fatigue to where that athlete is held back from getting in more volume throughout the week. Got it. Okay. So when does volume come into play? And, and, And what is your stance on how much volume is actually needed? I think it varies a lot for for each person. I think that, um, and it varies from musculature. So it's hard to come at the the topic with, okay, we need this many sets per muscle group. And uh, I think that you can assess and, and see where the athlete stands as far as recovery, what you're seeing from physique photos, what their biofeedback is, and then make adjustments from there. So if you were to say a baseline, I would say like 14 to 16 sets per week per musculature to see what the capability of that is. And, and also it really depends on their execution. If they mash at execution and they're incredible, I think 16 sets could be a lot, you know, um, depending on the quality of, of how they move. So, um, I think it, it, it's, it varies from, from person to person for sure, but that's kind of like where I start and then begin to build from there. Do you, do you have any opinions, um, as to like, or like, I guess what's your argument with people that kind of use the excuse of there's no research to prove that because I think it's much harder to prove research for muscular activation of course right and execution stuff so like how do you how do you answer that question that's always a stump for me I'm like such a hard question to answer like how do you go about and I'm sure you guys get that more than me because I like execution is my thing you know yeah well I I, the the inner asshole in me (laughs) generally will pull out my phone and be like look how many clients have, you know, been successful in this fashion. And that's kind of, you know, that's a 
pretty poor response, but it's the truth. Um, so with my uh, kind of response to that is go through one of these sessions, see the difference in time under tension. I, I understand that the research is not necessarily there to to back this, but I have a lot of anecdotal experience, which I understand is the lowest form of, of evidence per se. But um, I mean, it, it's very evident through my own practice that this is um, a real thing. I love it, man. I, I 100% agree. I think, I think a lot of people need to put more value inside of anecdote and experience. 100%. I mean, yeah. Even bro science. I mean, there's a little extent, bit of validity to it. There is because bro <laughs> science is just experience, right? You can't, right. you can't argue with some people that have been, you know, in a, there was actually a recent uh, study that they reviewed in mass and they were talking about basically it, it they didn't say periodization for a, uh, hypertrophy is pointless, but they were kind of saying like, you know, it doesn't matter as much as people think. And, and right. it makes sense as to why, like, okay, why is that? old school bodybuilder, natural or not, so jacked, and he just does the same rep range all the time. He doesn't use any undulation or anything. And it's like, well, right. he's getting his volume in. I mean, yeah. and he's being consistent. I mean, he, he's maybe trained for 16 to 20 years of five to six times a week. I mean, at some point, he's gonna see he or she is going to see progress, it may not be as rapid as if they were to undulate things or have periodization and things of that nature, but they're still seeing progress. Mm -hmm. so, so that kind of leads me to my next question, actually, like with programming specifically, how long do you like a client to actually follow a program? Because there's kind of two camps, right? There's, uh, I shouldn't say camps, but there's people that get bored really quick. So sometimes mm -hmm cycling accessory work and stuff it more often is actually better because it just makes them train harder mm -hmm. um and then there's other people who are like you got to follow this exact thing and just progress for 16 weeks straight before you even touch a thing like right. where do you land on that and, and how important is one versus the other so i will have an athlete stay in a training stimulus for three to five weeks uh now within this training stimulus as far as changing things oftentimes the repetitions the uh sets we're moving a lot of different factors. The exercises themselves may stay. Um, now, the structure of the training sessions will will be altered. So, for example, the three big pillars that we follow are going to be neurological-based training, which is more strength-based. You have the hypertrophy, um, which would be kind of a mixture of the, the neurological as well as the, the metabolic work where we're using short rest periods. We are um, basically increasing insulin sensitivity, a lot of different aspects within metabolic training. So we have these three different pillars that we work within, and I will have an athlete perform a, a neurological phase for, for four weeks per se. And then we'll move into uh, maybe a metabolic phase at that point where we're decreasing the, the rest periods and things of that nature, but we're keeping a lot of the same exercises. They're just performed in a different fashion. And um, with that, it takes a lot of communication on our end to be like, okay, you're not going to be lifting the same loads that you were in the movements through the neurological phase. You were having longer rest periods. They were lower repetitions. Now that we're moving into a metabolic phase, we have a different intent. We have a different goal here. And uh, it, it, I think the, the great success within that is the client understanding why we're doing it as well as explaining to them the, what to expect per se. Do you ever have any uh, or do you use more of a daily undulated periodization or a conjugate style where you're doing some people enjoy starting with strength, having some hypertrophy and then finishing with metabolite training every session. Yeah. Some people like having uh, a set like 
two different types, like an upper lower split, right? A lower up, higher up, stuff like that. You guys right. use that too. Is it all just about whatever the client enjoys or are you guys pretty specific about blocking it in that way? We're pretty specific now. I, I will double dip from time to time. So for example, maybe in some hypertrophy phases, they'll get some metabolic work to end the session or uh, maybe in a neurological phase, they'll get some hypertrophy work at the end. Um, so there is a little bit of double dipping, but it is pretty straightforward as far as keeping it within those blocks. And then how do you, important do you think it is for somebody to follow more than one cycle of this? Cause I'm sure you guys get this too, where somebody signs up. That's like, let's just say that's three months of coaching mm-hmm. um, program. Went great. And then it's like, they leave for whatever reason. It's like, man, what would happen if you stayed for nine months and you were able to go through those three phases three times? Like how important is right. that? I think very important because as you're being introduced, especially with metabolic training, where it is very intense, it's hard to select weights the first time you go through that block or a block similar to that. And I think going through a second time, you're much more prepared. You have an understanding of kind of what loads to to be utilizing. And I think you excel at a much greater rate. You recover better. All of the the biofeedback that we're looking at is generally going to be better that second or that third time through a metabolic phase or or through a neurological phase or anything like that. Yeah, I love that. And I think just to add on to that is like, how long it actually takes to build muscle. (laughs) Like that's what people forget. Yeah. I, uh, I always have like, especially with women, I'll, I'll talk to this about and I always say like, Hey, like, I've been trying really fucking hard to get huge for a long time now (laughs) (laughs) and I'm not that big. So just trust me, it takes time. Uh, But um, no, I think that's so huge, man. I I get really, really, uh, I I really try to encourage people to like, even, I mean, this new study, and I don't know if you're subscribed to mass, but definitely check out the new issue. It's really, really good. And they talk about this. Even if you don't undulate or periodize things much, it was only eight week study. So we can only take it with face value, but Even if you don't, like the reality is, is it just takes so much time to see adaptations from training, especially after your first year that like you just have to commit to more time. Like that patient factor we talked about earlier, it's like it's a prerequisite. Right. hundred percent. I think it's so important. Um, so I want to actually talk on female lifters because you guys, I know you guys work with quite a, actually I should probably ask this. I assume you work with quite a few. <laughs> we do work lifters. with quite a few females. Yeah. Um, what changes? Uh, there's a lot of people who say nothing changes, which I disagree with. Yeah. And then there's people that literally only program high rep glute kickbacks because they're, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think there's like, there's obviously a gray area, there's balance, but um, I'm just curious of how, like what changes, how much changes is a question I get quite a bit on the podcast. I think you're a great person to ask that. I appreciate that. Uh, I think that the big thing that changes is they, they can handle more volume. They can handle greater time under tension. They can do more. It's pretty interesting to see. For them to necessarily grow, we may need to throw a little bit more at them uh, to see that that same benefit that we may see in a male client. Um, but yeah, I think that the big thing is just a difference in total volume uh, from uh, an intended musculature. Uh, and yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of branch off questions to that, but I'll let you kind of select that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, my first question would be, do you tend to emphasize those two later phases, uh, the hypertrophy and the metabolic phase, or do you keep it the same? It's just a literally just a weekly volume increase. They may stay in neurological phases longer. I may have them stay in, in strength phases for longer than I would with a male client and then a little bit shorter from a metabolic stimulus. Uh, the reason being for this is I don't necessarily have 
research to back this rather than just my anecdotal experience with looking through many uh, female protocols and seeing that they just didn't have the gas maybe in that third or fourth week of, of a metabolic phase or something of that nature to where I wanted to pull them out and then move them back into something else. Um, so I, I see them stay in strength phases actually longer. Well, I actually was almost assuming the opposite because the, the higher rep stuff is more volume. Right. Would you argue to say that this is just uh, more of something they need to work on too, strength because they're typically better at metabolic work? I, I could I could see that being the case. I think that oftentimes when females do come to us, or more often than not, I should say, they haven't spent much time at all in repetitions within three to six. Like they just haven't, they didn't know how strong they were. They're just like, holy shit, I can lift. I'm so strong. I, I can lift a I can lift a house at this point. And so I think it's exciting for them to see how strong they truly are as well as they can really handle more load per set um, for longer durations of time than what they could have even imagined yeah uh next question would be exercise selection which i know is probably one of the bigger ones simply because we have different goals but like how big of an influence is that inside of your programming uh quite a bit i think that maybe the the volume that a male would have for their chest and a female's chest volume is going to be the biggest difference, uh, especially when you're working with female athletes who have a breast augmentation or, um, I mean, that would be the biggest one, I suppose, but you've got to work around that. Um, yeah, I would say that's the biggest musculature that's different. And then they're going to probably have a little bit more leg volume overall, but it wouldn't be a huge difference. Do you tend to select different modalities of exercise selection? What I mean by that is I love the barbell overhead press, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's some women that struggle just to get the bar over their head for high volume. Are you changing things like that as well, just to make sure that you're accommodating? Yeah, that, that depends on if I'm working with a lifestyle female or a competitive athlete female. I mean, it just depends on whom I'm speaking to, but I definitely make those adjustments depending on where the athlete is at. I love that. We, we've been, uh, this next part, we've been really big on this and, and I know you guys are too. So I want to get your take on it and just to try to convince the female listeners that are like listening with us. But um, we've been really big on like promoting not only just maintenance phases, but actually like lean gain phases for women, because I think it's very important to try to get you out of a deficit, get you maybe even above maintenance and actually try to build some muscle over time. Um, we've had our coaches do it. Uh, one of my coaches, uh, she gained 11 pounds. She actually looked great afterwards. She stayed pretty lean. It's awesome. like, it took her time, but it's like, yes, she had to cut a little bit of fat afterwards, but like, look at her physique afterwards and she's not a competitor. It's just, right. this is part of just gaining. So how important is that to, to the women that you guys work with? How, how do you kind of relay that message to them? I guess I should say. Right. Uh, this is a great question. I think that oftentimes when Let's let's speak more towards lifestyle here because I think that with many of the lifestyle clients that we do see come through physique development, they instantly want to go into a fat loss phase. And they've already come to us either working with a coach prior or coming to us in a dieted state already with very low food to begin with. And so generally, we have to reverse that client out. And then from there, they expect to instantly go back into the diet where 
oftentimes I will reverse them. We'll be in a maintenance phase for a duration of time. And then we'll move into the dieting phase very long down the road than what they were anticipating when they signed up. Um, as far as relaying the message to them, I think that what we do is more so just break down the science in a very uh, easy to digest way and, and for them to understand where their um, metabolic rate is at at that current moment because of the lackluster fat loss at that time, as well as the adherence of things where it's like, you may have been tracking this for three or four days a week, but then the other three or four days of that week, you were eating in a surplus to where truly as we reverse, you'll probably be pretty close to what your weekly calories are at this very moment. It's just what you perceive this as is that you're eating 1200 calories every day. But in reality, you're eating 1200 three days a week, and then 2200 four days a week or something of that nature. Right. So I think breaking it down for them and, and under like giving them all the information and, and really conveying to them that this is a team effort and not just I'm being this terrible person and not doing what you're, you know, specifically wanting in this very moment. And you're looking out for the betterment of their overall health rather than just them looking a certain way. I, I think that clients very much so gravitate towards that commitment um, and that, uh, desire for them to be just better. It's, dude, I think it's been it's been so good to see. And this goes back to what we were talking about off air. It was like certain people in the industry coming up and really, really pushing periodization and the longevity of things. And I think it's it's just so unbelievably important. And in a world that is like overly dieted, like it's just right. so key to like really be pushing this message. Um, a follow up question to that that I get all the time: uh, How long should one maintain after a deficit? if there is a ratio that you could provide? Good question. Um, I would say this is so dependent. And I think that the first thing that comes to my mind is that if the female has had a consistent menstrual cycle, which is like a completely separate topic from all of this, because this could be a massive rabbit hole. But I will say that um, oftentimes when females maybe have lost their menstrual cycle, they get back into a metabolically advantageous position within their caloric intake. Maybe their menstrual cycle comes back into play. I generally like to see that transpire for maybe four to six months of, of consistency at that point. And then it from there, they're able to move out of the maintenance phase and begin dieting again. Um, but if the individual has maintained their menstrual cycle through the, the dieting phase, back through the reverse and into the maintenance, it can be, I don't know, I, it's hard for me to put a specific number on it. Uh, I would say like maybe four to eight weeks. Uh, it would be like a guesstimation, I suppose. I think uh, I... I, I... I like menstrual cycles. I like <laughs> that's that's what was about to come out. But I like that they give you that kind of proxy because I I've I've had similar conversations with people of, of asked the same thing like how long has that been consistent again? And right. I think that plays a major major role with men. We can't really do that. You can ask about sex drive and performance and things like that, but it's right. it's kind of hard. And I think men do tend to bounce back a little bit quicker. Yeah. Um, now, there's also been the case where, so like, like you said, it depends. Like I always say, well, how hard were you dieting? How long were you dieting? What, right. What's your training like? What's your sleep like? But um, I want to say I heard Mike Isretel say this, and I agree in some scenarios. I, think, I, believe, I believe they said 1.5 times as long as you were in deficit. Um, and I believe that applies more so to specific year-round bodybuilders, because, which is easy because, oh, I got to spend 1.5 times as much time because that's how long it'll take me to build muscle and come back into it. I think with a lifestyle client, 
they're not looking to do an off season to get bigger. They're looking to right. just kind of recover so they can diet again to get leaner. Um, and I think in that scenario, you could probably drop that to one times as like the same amount of time as they were dieting. Yeah. But then there's the case where you see people and I'm kind of going on a rant now, but you see people who come to you and they're like, Oh, I've been off and on in a deficit for the last two years and you get them feeling better in three months. And mm -hmm a diet might work after that. And I think like, I don't think you can put a ratio on it um, is kind of my point. I think it's just, it's so dependent on each individual, um, right. but I think it heavily depends on how, really how hard they were dieting in the first place, I guess. hundred percent. Yeah. It all <laughs> it depends on all the, the biofeedback and things of that nature. I mean, there's so many definitive things. Um, and, and I, I don't like giving that answer because I almost feel salesy and, and being like, well, sign up for my coaching. I can take care of it. But it's like, I'm not trying to sell you on it. It's just the reality that there's so much that goes into this that I can't give you an answer right this second. Yeah. So, yeah. Last thing I'll say on this too, and you've probably seen this as well, just more, more for the people listening. I've also had clients come to me that have been quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now for those listening, <laughs> dieting for the last year. And then when I like actually review their calories and then I teach them how to measure properly and stuff, I'm like, oh, you're, you're in a surplus, we can create a deficit and you'll probably lose weight. You've <laughs> right. been improperly dieting. And so you think you're in deficit and you're not. Cause that's actually, I think they did a study and it showed like 30% of people are actually mistracking their calories, which is insane. Oh, yeah. um, but it's just something to consider. Uh, but as we're on this topic of periodization, what's your overview of periodizing a person's diet? Like I come to you, uh, male or female, doesn't really matter at this point, but I come to you and, and Maybe I just want to get to my leanest physique and I'm at maintenance right now, or maybe I'm in a deficit and I need to figure this whole thing out. Like, what is your overall plan of like, okay, like this is how much time I want with the client. This is how mm -hmm. we're going to go through the process. This comes first, this comes second, so on and so forth. Oh, this is, this is a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> I would say that my philosophy within dieting, if they were to come for dieting, I would set kind of an idea of how much body fat do I interpret that they need to lose to get to where they want to be, whether it just be looking great for the summer. If, if a client comes to me more specifically for like competition prep and things of that nature, then I can really articulate, okay, for us to get to stage lean, we've got to get here. Um, so as, as, as we figure out how much fat loss needs to occur, then I kind of script out, okay, this is the amount of time that we need to potentially look at this. And I, I look at this from a 0.75 to a little over a pound per week of fat loss and then break it down from there. So like for a competition prep, what I do is if the athlete needs to lose 20 pounds of fat tissue, I'll take that 20 weeks and then add four for a little bit of a buffer period. Um, now with lifestyle, it's even a longer buffer period because we want them to have a lifestyle outside of it. They're not in a competition prep. I do not expect them to be as precise as my competition clients. So we give a little bit more buffer period. We have a little bit more freedom, um, whether that be through free meals or what have you. Um, so that's kind of how my game plan begins. How similar from a theoretical perspective is lifestyle versus physique clients? Because I think one thing that I noticed when I first started my career is that it was just two completely different worlds and you either like it was almost like if you're a lifestyle client you don't track macros there are no refeeds like right that, you know what i mean and then there was bodybuilders who was like oh that's that's neurotic like it's too far and it's like well like these people are masters at getting shredded don't you think their strategies can help you guys out get kind of lean and i think right. like one thing i've really tried to do is bridge that gap 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious of your thoughts. And, and I think we have a similar idea of that. Like how similar are the strategies behind these two clients really? Very similar. I think that each client can take something from the other. I think that the bodybuilding client can take a lot from the lifestyle client and to relax. The, the scale is not your worst enemy. It is okay to have a, a the scale move a pound here, a pound there. It's okay. Everything is going to still, the world's still going to rotate. You're still going to get your meals in that day. You're still going to train hard. The scale is not as detrimental as, as you may believe. Um, and I think that the lifestyle client can take a lot from the bodybuilding client in the sense of being very intentional with their day-to-day task, um, taking a, a serious approach to their meals, to their training. It's just a, a different level of intensity, I suppose, that they can kind of not necessarily inherit, but take a piece of that and say, okay, I can do this. Like I can really roll with having intense sessions and things of that nature. I love that. I would hundred percent agree. And I would add and get your take on this, like metrics as well. Like bodybuilders track a lot of metrics. And I feel like some lifestyle clients expect results to happen without knowing what the fuck is happening. Yeah, 100%. I think that with competition clients, they have so much feedback for us to to delve from. Um, and, and maybe a lifestyle client comes to you and only wants to get on the scale once per week. And that's really their only feedback. And it's like, well, I mean, this is we're only using one very small tool that isn't very valid, only using once per week. So we've got to get more metrics here to really see what we need to change or what needs to happen um, outside of that singular scale reading. Yeah. Um, So just so you know, uh, I'm throwing a lot of random questions at you. And the reason (laughs) I'm doing this, because I I was thinking about this, I was like, okay, Matt did a podcast with him and they talked about a story. Um, (laughs) I've done a million podcasts of like going through the evolution of a coach and like I've talked about entrepreneurship and online coach, all those things. And I was like, it'd be really cool to just bring up a lot of the most common questions I get because we have so much in common behind like our methodology, if that makes sense. So I'm almost treating it like a listener's Q and (laughs) A. That's that's fine with me. So, um, the next one that I had on here actually that I get quite a bit is, uh, not necessarily whether or not I like high carb or uh, low carb diets better, like which approach do I find better? Um, If you ask me what I like, I like high carb because I like eating carbs, but um, more so like, when can we determine when these are effective? I guess it should say like, how do you determine when these are effective? And when would you actually implement either one or because a lot of people say, Oh, well, it's just calories in versus calories out. And I'm like, well, I don't know, because I've taken somebody and not touched their calories, but manipulated these two factors and all of a sudden seen success. So I think there's more to it, but I just want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I I think that the more to it is something that's on the horizon from a research perspective. I don't think that they're there yet. And so from our current research, it is just calories in versus calories out. That's all we see. Uh, And I think that it's on the horizon, like I said. So with high carb or... um, high fat, low carb, more approach, I think that this can be teetered with from a a training perspective. So if it's more metabolic training, I'm really going to be pushing carbs up and and bringing fats down. Um, If they're doing a lot of HIIT training, then I'm going to be doing the same kind of principles. Now, if I'm even through hypertrophy, very similar. If it's through neurological, this is a time where I'm able to back off the carbohydrates and give them a little bit more fats. uh, for instance, maybe an individual is just burning through carbohydrates. They're not, they're having trouble basically um, 
absorbing the nutrients from a, not necessarily absorbing the nutrients, but the glycogen that they're taking in, the body is expending it at a very high rate, having poor satiation. At that time, I may bring carbs down and let the fats come up to see if satiation um, increases per se. That may be a time where I alter things, but um, yeah. Does the individual client ever affect this for any other reason? So like putting training aside, like let's say somebody comes to you just for nutrition. Mm -hmm. Are you adjusting anything based on the individual? Yes, from like a a lifestyle perspective. So for instance, let's say that um, a client comes to me and they have two like maybe business uh, luncheons that they have to adhere to. Like there's just no way that they have their own food for these situations. Oftentimes these individual, these, these luncheons or things like that are going to be higher fat consumption. So to fit her or his lifestyle, it may be better for us to go with a more high fat, more moderate carb approach to fit their life better. Totally, totally get that. Um, the last part of this would be, how do I say this without sounding like, uh, so I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, especially with like reverse dieting increasing, I've seen a lot of people be- almost believing that you can diet on a lot of calories. And I think that um, it's it's a good and a bad thing because it teaches people you can't just fucking diet forever. But then it's yeah. a bad thing because it, it, it fear mongers people into thinking they're screwed if they drop calories down at all. Anybody who wants to get really lean probably needs to do that at some point in time. Like, right. what are your thoughts on this whole thing that's going on right now? And, and like, how low are you willing to take a client? And when are those situations appropriate? Uh, so I think that with the, the high reverse um, calorie intake. I think that this is a huge marketing thing at this very moment. And so coaches are very apt to instantly post that an athlete is eating this amount of carbs, they're this lean, they're at this amount of calories. Um, and this is this is my coaching service swipe up here to, to do the same. And it's just, it's very irritating uh, from <laughs> being someone in the space. Um, and so as far as a specific calorie allotment. This is going to depend on the individual's goals as well as the size of the individual. Because I have some female athletes that come to mind right now who are under five feet. And so with them being as small as they are, their calories are very low to the general human being. But they're also almost a foot shorter than every other client that I may have or something of that nature. So it's like, um, as far as like super low, I don't, I don't know specifically like a, a put a number on it on that. Um, but I, I, if they are to go super low, it would be more so in a competition prep setting and for very, very short durations of time, I would say like maybe three weeks or something of that nature. I love the way you answered that because, uh, number one, I don't think there is a number I see, for some reason, that what comes to mind is 1,200 and 1,600. I see a lot of right. people that like, well, you went below 1,200. Like, it's like insane. And they don't even ask how much the person weighs or what, how, what size they are. Um, and then same thing with the 1,600. I have somebody in mind that I think we, we cut for a photo shoot and she ended up at like 98 pounds, which sounds very little, but she's a very short person. Like, it's, yeah. she wasn't like, it was, she was really healthy. Like, I mean, healthy it's low calories you can't be extremely healthy but um but i think it's really important to kind of put that context on like there really is no definitive don't go below this point and you added three weeks i think that's important because even with those low calories like 
are you giving them diet breaks? Are you doing refeeds? Like things like that come in a big play. Right. Yeah. I think that it's, it's very goal dependent, like especially if they're getting to the wire of a competition prep where it's like, you know, this is the only answer we have at this point. And, and are you willing to mentally take this on? This is conversations that I have with all of our competition clients where we are very upfront with our clientele as far as, okay, this is going to suck. Like this is going to be really hard. Cardio is high. Food is very low. This is just the the nature of the beast within competition prep. Are you willing to take this on? And so I think that that's a big piece as well. Um, I, I think, yeah. Let me ask you this too, like, because uh, I think you, I mean, I know you've done competitions. How low, like, what is your height and weight and how low did you get? And I asked that because, so for people, for context for me, I'm, I have a photo shoot next week. Um, by no means do I expect to be stagely and that wasn't the goal, but mm-hmm. definitely my six packs out and everything like that. I got, I dropped about 10 to 12 pounds. I have three low days at like 1600 and like that seems it is fucking low. I hate it. Like it's very low, <laughs> but I also sit in front of my computer 90% of my day. Like I force 100%. myself to get up and walk and like I train four days a week. I lift, I was lifting five, but I dropped it just cause I don't have the energy. And like people got to remember that like, I'm not a construction worker. So like right. granted I'm uh, like down to 160 pounds. I'm five, nine. So I'm not a huge dude in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just curious of yours because I think it put good context into people because you get like 115 pound women that are like, you want to put me below 1600? And it's like, right. I got to go there too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Um, so for this last competition prep, that was the that was the hardest for me because I had not taken on a prep that I was this sedentary in my life. Uh, so like competition preps prior to this, physique development was not my only job so the the prep prior to this austin and i were doing inflatables we were uh, assembling inflatables for schools and so we were lifting hundreds of pounds of inflatables all day and then we would train and then we would do physique development work and so that prep was really easy and i ate a shitload of food because i was so active every day this prep i'm sitting at my desk eight to 10 hours every day. And then the only physical activity I have is my cardio is my training. And then a little bit of just natural walking outside with with our dog or something of that nature. So it was way different. And it was a huge acclimation. But as far as my calories, I think we got down to 1500 with daily cardio uh, training five days a week. I mean, it was, it was, it was tough. It was definitely the most mentally taxing prep I've ever had. Um, And, and, for reference, I am six foot. I got on stage at 181 pounds. So, um, yeah. I think it's, it's really good for people to hear this because it just kind of like everything we've just said is just like going low calorie. I mean, as long as you're not chronically doing it, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes you have to grind. And I think, honestly, I think everybody, it's just like, I tell people, like, uh, they're like, how do I read RPE? I don't understand it. I'm like, you should go do a true max out set. Like, I don't yeah. care if it means you can only train legs once this week, go max out, maybe throw up. Like it's a good, it's a good lesson for you to max out and see what your true potential and intensity is. And they've done studies that show like, Oh, put your 10 rep max on the bar and they get 26 reps. And it's like, Oh, weird. Like yeah. you should push that. And the same thing with like low calorie diets. Like I tell like one of my coaches is doing a physique competition right now. She's getting ready for bikini. Her shows beginning of October. And I was like, good for you. Like it's good for you to get on stage and experience that because she came from a CrossFit background and then we kind of shifted her slowly into like more of a bodybuilding setting as I started teaching her a bunch of stuff. And 
now she's getting on stage and she's going to go through the experience that some of our clients have gone through um, who are now lifestyle clients, but have had diets in the past. And I think it's just good for people to see that and know how low you can take your body, know what your biofeedback's like, kind of understand that teetering system about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that the experience for the coach to understand where the athlete's been is, is huge. So kind of on the same note of this and the idea of like, uh, the marketing or the marketability of super high calories, like you were talking about. I think if it fits your macros, kind of took a similar approach. Um, you can eat whatever you want and lose. Like, right. where do you stand with that? Because I feel like, uh, like I, I naturally like bro food, and I actually, mm-hmm. I have, think there's some merit to eating that way at times because it helps accuracy with things. But I want to get your take on that and like, how far do you let clients push that? Like, what's your whole spiel on if it fits your macros and your whole opinion on it? Yeah, I think that like an 80-20 rule is probably the best way to go as far as just a baseline, even for lifestyle clients. Now, as you get into competition prep, things are more a 100-0 type approach. Uh, But in terms of everyday life, I think that an 80-20 approach one is going to have you feeling better. I think that your meal choices should be something that makes you feel energetic, makes you feel good. I mean... Why would you want to eat something that makes you feel like shit afterwards that doesn't click with me? Um, although it may be delicious in the time, it's like we are trying, you're, you're, you're feeding your body to, to live a, a full life. Let's feel energetic. Let's feel good after we complete meals. I love that, dude. I, I 100% agree. And I think that anything uh, done in excess is just, it's probably not going to lead to a good, good outcome. Right. No matter what you're doing. Um, man, time is actually flying by just cause we're going through so many great topics. I love this shit. Um, one, th- one thing I want to finish with, but this might be pretty easy for you to answer and it might lead to like six different okay. answers. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> um, but what do you feel like is one of the biggest, not necessarily mistakes, but like what's missing? Uh, and, and let's do this twofold, like in the industry as a coach and then for the client's perspective. So First, as a coach, like what do you see is either A, has been missing for too long that's starting to come up or is still missing and you really want to see more of inside of our coaching industry? I would say uh, one thing that's been missing that's becoming more popular is, is a true like family feel to it all rather than I have 300 clients, they all do the same training and I give them one word blurbs as far as responses go and then they, they're on their way. And there's a huge turnover rate and it's just not, there's no person, personal touch to it. And so I think that something that's becoming more popular is more of a tight knit group, be it that it is more expensive, but I think that there is so much more value to the, the family approach rather than this laundry list of clients that you don't know anything about. Uh, I take great pride in knowing a lot about each of my clients and knowing what's going on in their life, having good conversation with them, um, being able to get on phone calls, things of that nature, uh, I think is something that I, I hope spreads from a industry perspective. I love that, dude. I 100% agree. I like the whole family the way you phrase it, though, the reason I, I always say individualized coaching, because that's what I knew it as. And that's what I've always done. But even that is getting bastardized now, because it's a term that people can grab onto and use in their own coaching, because what you just described is individualized coaching. But I think a lot of people forget that. Um, it's why I started building a team on my team, because I can't just ethically take on more and more and more clients and, and know that I'll be able to serve them that way, but I can help build a team right. of like-minded individuals that can't, you know? So, um, and right. then as far as, as far as the clients go, 
what is the biggest thing that you think is either missing or like maybe your clients are just unaware of like when people come to you like what is like the the thing that you just keep seeing that like you really have to double down on educating them with uh, i would say having a long-term approach not thinking that this is all going to happen by tomorrow and also not thinking that just because you paid the money and you signed up that all this stuff is going to happen you know, it's, there's still work that has to be done. There's, it, there's going to be hard days. There's going to be days that suck and you still got to push through it. And so I think that having a more full picture, long-term approach to things rather than thinking, I want to lose X amount of weight by this date and, and then I'm done and then I'm just going to do whatever and then I'll be back and I want to do it in that exact same time frame. It's more of let's make this fit your life and see what you can do with it from like five years down the road type thing. I love that, dude. I think that's so I, I mean, I'm I'm really, really big on periodizing a long plan. I think that's so huge. Um, but I wouldn't have, I, I agree with the second, but I wouldn't have thought about that. But I think there is a lot of people that purchase things and expect results to just happen. And so kind of laying down, is that something you really try to go over at the beginnings? Like, hey, like, there is some grind to this. Right. Yeah, I think that it's very dependent, because we get on calls with everyone beforehand. And so I really get a good feel of what drives this person? What is going to, to motivate this person to achieve that goal? And if I get the vibe that they're thinking that this is just going to happen because they're here, I really lay it out at the beginning and say, hey, you, there's work here. This is not just because you're working with physique development that all this stuff is just going to magically fall in place. You've, it, there's still work that needs to be done. I love it, dude. There's so many things we covered. I think the I think that this is cool because I haven't done like just a random Q and A with somebody, especially somebody that I've never talked to before until right. today. So um, <laughs> I'm happy we're able to do this because I think it touches on so many things that people ask me or want to hear us talk about. And all of these things we touched on today, um, I think we just kind of tapped on them. But I think the reason we just tapped on them is because to go any further, we have to say that. It is for Rebecca, who is 35 years old, works a full job, has two kids. You know what I mean? It's like right. a very individualized setting. and Everything just kind of depends. Yeah. I, I, I hate giving the it depends answer, but in reality, a lot of the things that you guys ask as listeners, uh, is that is the answer unless we have specific information on you as the individual. I think, and I also think that's why this whole, like, like you mentioned, family friendly, like this whole personalized thing, I think it is growing. I think it's getting more prevalent. I think this is why, because people realize over time that it does depend and so many, you can only do so many 30 day challenges before you realize you need more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I agree. I love it, man. Um, dude, do you have anything, uh, uh give us your Instagram, uh, whatever you guys are doing as far as content, if you guys got to release anything that you want to shout out to listeners before I let you go. Okay. Uh, my Instagram is Alex Bush, B U S H underscore underscore. Um, as far as physique development, the, the physique development page as well as physique development underscore. And uh, as far as projects we got going on, um, we've got the female training program that just released and then we'll have the, the male training program coming out here shortly. So those are the two big projects that, um, have been going well right now. And then, um, all the one-on-one -on -one clients are, are doing very, very well. I love it, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering. And because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. 
please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.